During 2004 and 2005, Americans were fixated on the disappearance of Lacey Peterson and her unborn son. News channels were inundated with information. It was like you couldn't turn anywhere and not hear about her husband, Scott, and his mistress, Amber. Really, it was a case we were all so familiar with. But the problem is that the national media virtually ignored another case that is even stranger and more shocking. And it's the case of Marcus Wesson's murder of nine of his own children in Fresno, California. Oh, my. We all joke that we want to kill our kids, but that's a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. Well, mine also has to do with dead children, unfortunately. I'm going to tell you nine things from an article entitled 10 Things, but I skipped one because it was a little boring. Okay. Nine things you may not have known about the Waco, Texas, Branch Davidian, David Koresh situation from 1993. Yep. All right. All right. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. We missed that. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of How Did We Miss That? How did, how did we miss it? Oh, I don't know. I'm still trying to put that together every time we do this. Every time. What was going on in my life during that time? Well, this I think I specifically showed you how we all missed this. Yeah. And that's the thing with the news cycle, man. One thing will come out and... The thing that was the story of the day just vanishes. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. Well, like I said and and got cut off, I'm Christine. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm John. (laughs) I'm the cutoff man. That's what I do. You're the cutoff man. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's quite all right. That's okay. I figure the listeners know who we are by now, so I I wasn't sure if you were going to say it or not. And last week, you said it during the little pre-intro thing. Very confused over here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the listeners because I'm a shit show. Well, I think we all are at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. This year is not shaping out to be any better than last year so far. So. Yeah, well, I'm still optimistic. It's early. All right, let's do it. It is early. So we're going to jump into this story because not only were there actually more victims than what I just stated, but the circumstances were much stranger than anyone can actually believe. Wesson carried on incestuous relationships with several of his daughters and nieces for years. He brainwashed the family into believing he was a messiah and made a murder-suicide pact with them. People close to Marcus Wesson say he is highly eccentric and moderately intelligent. He has a large vocabulary and expresses himself in flowery, overindulgent language. As with any cult, and I'm going to put this in quotes, leader, because honestly, that's what it sounds like to me after researching the story. He was, of course, described as having an unusual influence on others. So we've talked about this before. Your dictators and your leaders have this very flowery language that like suck you in. Yeah. You know, it -hmm. sounds familiar like a former president. Maybe. Mm, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So who was Marcus Wesson? Well, in 1968, in his 20s, Wesson left the army which had sent him to Europe as a medical orderly. And then he moved to San Jose, California and moved in with Rosemary My My Terena. I think I'm saying that correctly. My Terena. No? (laughs) I mean, I guess, sure. (laughs) 
She was in her 30s, and the two of them had one son together. All seems fine and normal so far, right? He doesn't seem strange. Out of the military, getting a wife, getting a son. Everything seems cool and kosher, right? Well. Seems legit, yeah. Yeah. Well, just six years later in 1974, Wesson actually marries Rosemary's daughter, Elizabeth. Isn't that a movie? Oh, that's Rosemary's Rose baby, baby, not yeah. daughter. No, this is Rosemary. I mean, I guess you could say she was a baby because she was only 15 at the time. Gross. Gross. This is me throwing up over here. I'm just going to mute. Right. Over the next 16 years, the two would end up having 10 children together. Oh, my. Yes. And reports actually stated that they started, I guess, their relationship, we'll say, when she was eight years old. So I'm so grossed out over here. How many years did it take to produce that many kids? 16. Okay. I thought you said a lesser number, and I'm like, how does one even do that? No. Well, and actually, reports that I've seen as I researched was that she was... She delivered 11 times, but it says they only had 10 children. So I'm thinking one maybe didn't survive. Yeah. Anyway. So Elizabeth had a sister named Rosemary Solario, who in 1986 ends up sending her seven children to live with the Wessons. The children had been molested in their own home and were reportedly happy to make the change. The result was a household of considerable size. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of kids. Can you imagine the grocery bill on that? insane what kind of car do you even drive yeah so i'm not sure if his first wife rosemary was still there with their son i did she kind of like fell off the research at this point in time yeah so i don't know if she was still there but if she was that means we have at least three adults and 18 children oh my god that's (laughs) i can't imagine what the living quarters must have been like with all of those people in one spot i feel my blood pressure and stress level rising just hearing that that it sounds like a nightmare yeah insane my god to make matters just that much harder, Wesson could not seem to keep a steady job and got most of his income from welfare. Like you do. The, like you do. Mm-hmm. The family drifted from place to place and some of its living arrangements had to be very creative. Sounds like a, um, well, what's the politically correct term? I can't say the G word. Sounds like a uh, grifter, traveler. I mean, yeah. I, what do they go by? What's the appropriate term? That's what it sounds no, like, not. though. Just con- Is it? Yeah. Okay. People that move from place to place and don't really... We call them grifters in the biz. Yeah. Because I think that's the prop- proper term. But right. Yeah. So at one time, the family actually lived on a 26-foot boat that was moored in the Santa Cruz Harbor. He would sometimes rummage through McDonald's dumpsters to get old hamburgers for his family to eat. Doesn't that sound so appetizing and delicious? Yeah. yeah maybe. maybe I was wrong about that other thing. Maybe he's a pirate. Arr. Ooh, pirate. Because he failed to list the boat as an asset on his welfare forms, he actually ended up getting sent to jail for welfare fraud in 1990. Oh. I'm I'm glad to hear that's a thing. A lot of people abuse that. Well, I think when you... (laughs) I would think that the welfare, like, alarms are going off (laughs) with 18 children in your care. That's a good band name, the welfare alarms. I like that. Welfare alarms. Yeah. I would hope that the... uh, People at welfare would go, hmm, this is a lot. I'm just picturing people, hmm? someone like in a in a command center and just all of a sudden burp, 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 <laughs> the camera zooms in. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the drone birds that we talked about last oh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> They're like sitting on the boat watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Once out, the weird living situations did not improve. The family lived in a trailer and large army tent in Santa Cruz Mountains on land with no running water. Ew. Yuck. Yeah. 
also for a time in a decaying 63-foot tugboat off the shore of Marin County, California, for those of you who don't know. Yeah. Sometimes they lived in a school bus. Okay. I mean, I guess everybody would get their own bed. Like if it <laughs> if it's a legit bus with still the seats, but there are some buses out there that are converted into some pretty sweet RVs. So yeah, I, I don't judge for, that much, but based on his history, I'm guessing it was just a bus. Not for 21 <laughs> people to sleep in. Everyone's got a seat. Yeah. Everyone's got their own window. No bathroom. Yeah. Gross. I don't know. Hey, real quick. Isn't this the same geographical area as the Scott Peterson? Yes. Yes, it is. That Maybe that's why it fell off. Well, that's why. That's yeah. what I was, I was alluding to in the beginning there. Yeah. It's why we missed it. Yep. By the late 1990s, the children of Marcus and Elizabeth. So remember, Elizabeth was the 15-year-old that he married and ended up having 10 children with were old enough to work, and Wesson would eventually save up their money and use it to buy a building in Fresno, which we're going to talk about later. None of the children ever went to school. Mr. Wesson taught them at home using flashcards, school textbooks, and his own weird brand of Christianity. Around this time, he became fascinated with David Koresh. Hmm, curious. Curious. During the siege at Waco, Texas in 1993, and decided that it would be awesome to just make his family into his own personal cult. Great idea. Okay. So cool. Yeah. To his family, he repeatedly likened himself to Jesus Christ and called police officers Satan. When the family watched television coverage of the Branch Davidian siege, he was quoted as telling his children, this is how the world is attacking God's people. This man is just like me. He's making children for the Lord. That's what we should be doing. Making children for the Lord. Okay. And end quote. (laughs) End quote. Yeah. Well, I have some information later that will um, refute that, that that we were attacking them. I like it. Might have been the other way around. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He began to teach his family to be prepared to die if anyone ever tried to break up their household. He told his niece, Rosa Solario, and his daughter, Sabrina, which I got to stop here for a minute. Sabrina is spelled (laughs) S-E-B. H-R-E-N-A-H. Really sounding it out there. Subhurina. Subhurina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It actually, it's funny. So I try to put these, some of these names or words into yes. Google to see how you say them. Mm-hmm. This one I put in and as I was typing in, I was like, oh, Sabrina. Because <laughs> I was like, how do you even say this? That's like the famous uh, absidy that's A-B-C-D-E. Right. Absidy. <laughs> so he told them that they were strong soldiers who would hunt down and kill family members who betrayed him. And who might have to kill the family and themselves to prevent a breakup. Possibly in anticipation of such a massacre, he ended up buying 10 coffins from an antique dealer. Okay. Like you do. Is that a thing? What? Antique coffins? We've been antiquing quite a bit. I've never seen coffins. Well, I'm sure there's like a a branch out there that sells like all this weird macabre (laughs) stuff. Hey, what do you do for a living? I sell antique coffins. coffins. (laughs) You're probably right, though. There's like a... Previously loved. Isn't that like... (laughs) I mean, you don't say used. Yeah. Old dead body smell. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's all those like weird goth people that are into that. So I'm sure there actually is a market for that. There was, was it you? I think it was you that showed me that stroller that that person had. It was like a coffin with a weird crazy baby in it. Exactly. 
Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Imagine what those people have at their house. So I'm, I'm, there's definitely a, a marketplace. I do you know this, that there I is bet. a place that sells coffin beds? I am aware of this situation. So that you would like close yourself in. I don't know if or you just actually. Do it cl- open. It's, it's like in a car. Co- I don't know if you actually close yourself into it. Yeah, I, that'd be. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I'm not claustrophobic, but that's a bit much, man. I mean, yeah. I guess it'd be really dark and quiet. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're, people are into some weird s. <laughs> we are off the rails. Hey, that's okay. Back to the story. Let's just steer it back on. <laughs> steer it on back. As if he wasn't strange enough, he was also fascinated by vampires. Yeah. Okay. And gave himself and his daughters and nieces vampire names. <laughs> his name for himself was, are you ready for this? Because this is really hard to say. Javum Mark Suspire, I believe. It was a mixture <laughs> okay. of Jesus, Marcus, and vampire. Okay. What, hey, what's a vampire name? Are they like something from Transylvania sounding? I mean, I or was like thinking like... Vampire Bill. Yeah, Vampire Bill. Or what's the... Wh- Renesme. No, what was the one from Interview with the Vampire? Lestat. Oh, never seen it. Oh, man, that's good. It's a good one. Yeah, Lestat. So, I mean, I, I get that he just gave them these made-up names, but there's nothing vampire about them. There's not like a vampire name code where yeah. it's like your birth month. Well, and I mean, I don't know how many vampires are named Brittany out there, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some sort of like I'm just wondering if there's a formula like you see on Facebook like take your birth month and the last person you kissed <laughs> and the, and and the, the last first food initial you of your dog's name yeah, yeah. I don't know I don't know <laughs> we'll, well he this. came up with Javum Mark Suspire I love it yes rolls right off the tongue it does it's so easy to say the worst part though is that he began sleeping with his daughter and nieces so here we go to the bad stuff yeah gross trigger warning to those of you that do not enjoy child molestation i mean I don't, anybody enjoys it that was the wrong <laughs> javramus does yes apparently <laughs> wrong Did I get choice right? of words no not even close wrong choice of words or enjoy was not if it. you're triggered if by, you're triggered this by thing, child molestation fast sexual forward. assault you can fast forward fast forward to john's part to john's yeah. part um, anyway, so according to trial testimony of Ruby, one of the nieces sent to live with the Wessons, he began molesting her when she was eight years old. I told you that his wife, Elizabeth, had begun her relationship in quotes with him when she was eight years old. She testified that she loved him at the time. And at age 13, she enthusiastically agreed to marry him. The marriage ceremony consisted of a couple putting their hands on the Bible and reciting marriage vows. He would end up marrying three of his nieces and two of his daughters this way and had children by all of them. Ugh. Elizabeth Wesson Gross. fully approved of these incestuous reunions. Reunions, unions, not re. They didn't start over again. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> In fact, when Ruby ran away from home as a teenager, Elizabeth persuaded her to come back to the house to take care of her son by Marcus. So, wifey is all gung-ho about it, I guess. Yeah, she drank the Kool-Aid, clearly. Clearly. Marcus isolated his children from the outside world and beat the girls with a stick or a baseball bat when they talked to boys. After finally being deprogrammed after years of being separated from him, finally, some of the children admitted that punishments could last for up to 30 days. The way this worked was 30, sorry, 63 hits a day, 21 in the morning, afternoon and evening for days on end. Wow. So as disturbing as all of this was, the children didn't know any better. They were all born into this. 
Yeah, they probably they thought no they deserved it. They had it coming, and this is my Well, but they, they had no access to the outside world, so they had no clue right. that this wasn't how families are. Right. No idea. Wow, so, that's yeah. insane. Pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Kiani, one of the girls in the cult, admitted that when Wesson started his loving, in quotes, at age eight, she thought it was okay. Despite this abuse, many in the family actually have fond memories of their times with Wesson. He would entertain the family with plays, concerts, and a game he called the Ugly Contest, in which the children would dress up to be as ugly as possible. <laughs> I mean, this is all sick and twisted, but that just makes me laugh. I mean, you got to entertain yourself somehow, I guess. Yeah. Like 18 children to entertain. I, I feel know. like I would have won the Ugly Contest if there was a thing in my family. No. <laughs> Though the family seemed happy, the Wessons really creeped out their neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Wesson weighed about 400 pounds. Oh, uh, that, yeah. that is most unexpected. I, that right? You just caught me way off guard with that fact. He's a, he's a big old man. Wow. I'll, I'll put some pictures on social. You'll see what I mean. Yeah. One neighbor described his hair as one. This is in quotes, by the way. One big, long, greasy dreadlock. It was just <laughs> caked in dirt and oil. <laughs> well, his name's Wesson after all. Hey, there you go. So when they would go out as a family, the women were made to wear dark robes and walk behind him in silence with their eyes downcast. The neighbors were not fooled and had the family pegged as a strange cult from the start. This sounds, uh, that particular part sounds a little handmaid's taily. Mm. Walk behind in the robes and all that. Yeah. Creepy. It was a rule that all of the boys in the family were supposed to move out of the house when they were old enough, as did most of the girls. But two of the daughters, Sabrina, again, and Elizabeth Briani. So we got lots of Elizabeths in this yeah. thing here. And one of the nieces, Rosa, stayed with their father until adulthood supporting the family. They were also several young children still in the house. In 2003, so we're getting closer to the uh, time frame that we should have been paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> the Wessons bought a house in Fresno that had been an office building. Remember the one that I mentioned earlier? Yep. Okay. But city officials quickly moved to try to evict the family because it was a non-residential building. I mm -hmm. mean, can't move a family into a business building. It doesn't work that way. The prospect of eviction may have played some part in what I'm about to tell you next. It's believed that Wesson probably saw it as part of a plot against him and his family. But the primary trigger for the murders as a March 12, 2004 visit from Ruby Ortiz and Sofina Solario I think is it's told by them is basically what I'm saying as, yeah. it's, as it's told by them. Mm -hmm. There were two nieces that they had moved out, but they said that they had come to the house to try to get their kids back. That uh, was their account of the situation. Okay. He refused. And the family shouted curses at the two women, calling them Judas whore and Lucifer. Oh, I thought you meant actual curses like fire on your chicken, fire on oh. your death to your house. No. Curse words. Like curse words. Gotcha. Yeah. Bad words. I mean, I would expect curses from this group. Like actual right. curses. Like hexes? Yeah. All right. The two lemon. The two lemon. Back up. It wouldn't be how did we miss that without one slip up. So right. that's, you're just doing your part. What's a lemon? I don't know. Is that a mixture between a lemon and a woman? a mixture between women and left. Oh. Together. I'm speaking to you So quickly. no lemons. I think that's what it is. I think I read too fast from my mouth. Yeah. I think that's my problem. Absolutely, that's it. All right. The two women left without their children and returned with the police. Officers ordered Weston to come out, but he fled inside the building. Mm 
The police were told that they had no legal right to go inside. But suddenly Rosa Solario and Elizabeth Wesson came out of the building and reported that Wesson had a gun. Eventually, police backup and a SWAT team arrived, but it was too late. Just as they were taking positions around the perimeter of the building, Wesson came out covered in blood and surrendered. What the police found inside was so horrific that some of them went on administrative leave or into counseling. The nine bodies of Wesson's children, who were all shot through one eye, were tangled up in a bloody pile of clothing. The victims ranged in age from one years old, sorry, one year old, to 25 years old. Two were Wesson's daughters. The other seven were children of his daughters and nieces, all of them under eight years of age. The 10 coffins Wesson had bought lined the wall of one of the rooms. The night six police chaplains Sorry, that night, six (laughs) police chaplains reported to the building to soothe the detectives gathering evidence. The mayor of Fresno said the city would never be the same again after the largest mass killing in its history. Wesson's lawyers, however, say it was not Wesson, but Sabrina, the one who he told it was her job to kill the family if ever anyone tried to tear them apart. Remember Mm. that? Yep. Mm -hmm. He was setting himself up. Exactly. Well, they believe that it was her who actually shot the others and then killed herself because she was actually found on top of the pile of the bodies and the gun was underneath her. So police found no gun residue on Wesson. Even so, the jury ultimately decided that he had pulled the trigger and Wesson was convicted on nine counts of first degree murder, making him eligible for the death penalty. He was also found guilty on all 14 counts of raping and molesting seven of his underage daughters and nieces. That wow. is the story of vampire <laughs> Marcus Wesson. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that we never heard of that. There's some other things that stand out. Like they said, Fresno will never be the same. Fresno is the armpit of California. Everybody knows that. Right. They, I think they have a long history of not so good things. So I don't think this was their blemish. Interesting well, that they know. said that. No, I think it's just the biggest mass killing in the history of of Fresno. And I think he should still be convicted whether he pulled the trigger or not, because it's his ideologies. Mm -hmm. He put that into her head. Absolutely. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you ready? So ready. You mentioned David Koresh. And so I I wasn't going to do this story until I heard you mention it. And I said, you know what? Let me print this out real quick and let's 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 correlate. Let's corroborate. Let's do it. I love it. So teamwork. Like I said, this is an article entitled 10 Things You May Not Know About Waco. It's from Frontline, which I did a little digging into because that sounds very much like a right-wing conspiracy type, not real newspaper. Dog flea thing. Well, it is, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it is, but this is different. Got it. You know, the story after this was about dogs, though. Weird. Weird. Anyway. It's a it's a, a branch of PBS, so it's legit. Okay, I All thought right. at first it was like like I said, some weird like blog or something, not yeah. real, but it's legit. So this was 1993. I was in high school. I knew this was going on. And fun fact, in the city of Laverne, California, where I went to high school, there was a house like around the corner and down the street where some of his wives lived. Oh, So it was a big to-do when this all went down, like, holy shit, that's the house. And that house came up for sale 
during my childhood and like nobody would buy it. They were like freaked out. It was this gigantic house, which there aren't a ton of gigantic houses in that area. And it just sat there vacant Weird. for years. It was creepy. Oh. Drive by it all the time on the way to and from school or the store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was known as one of the Koresh houses because I guess Crazy. they had different houses everywhere. So I knew about this whole Waco thing, but I did not know these 10 not so fun facts. Okay. Did you know that David Koresh wasn't even his real name? I didn't know that, but now that you say that probably doesn't surprise me, but why would you pick that? That's a weird name to pick. I feel like his real name is a better culty leader, mass murderer name. Okay. Vernon Wayne Howell. Oh, yeah. That sounds much creepier. Vernon's creepy to begin with, and it's three names. He was born in 1959. He grew up in Houston, Texas. He told the FBI in their late night chats during the standoff that he was a, a lonely child teased by other kids who called him Vernie. So maybe that's why he changed it. Yeah. David's better than Bernie, I guess. If, uh, yeah, if you have a problem with your name from your past, you probably want to change it. Yeah. He struggled in school, but was drawn to the Bible, large portions of which he memorized despite being dyslexic. Oh, okay. So, you know, I think that being drawn to the Bible is not a bad thing, but if you start interpreting it in your own ways and brainwashing women and everybody else, not what the it's book when, was intended yeah, to be used it's when for. You become... And like obsessed with it is when we have the issues. Right. He joined the Branch Davidians at age 22. Should I go into what that is? It's a cult. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a cult that took some very strange stances and views on the Bible. They interpret it literally. And I'll get into a little right. bit of that yes. with another fun fact later. I guess they're not fun. Anyway, he became involved with the sex sects. S-E-C-T. No, no sex yet. No sex. The way I say that sounds like sex. It's sects. Got it. Prophetess, her name was Lois Roden. After she died, Koresh challenged Lois, Lois's son, George, for control of the group, showing up with seven heavily armed followers at the Waco compound. Obviously, as history knows it, he won. Roden ended up shot in the head and chest, and Koresh and his men were charged with attempted murder. Attempted? It seems like they did it. <laughs> Sounds like they did it, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, maybe, did he live, maybe? He was shot in the head and chest, but maybe he lived? The seven were acquitted. A oh. mistrial was declared for Koresh, who told the jury they'd aimed at a tree. Oh. I mean, it happens. Maybe they're strong you know? troopers? <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Great Star Wars tie-in. How did you know I was going to bring Star Wars into this? I had in no a idea. Fa- in my next fact. Oh, it's like we planned it. After this, he killed this guy attempting to shoot at a tree like one does with seven armed dudes to show up to take right. over. He assured the le- he assumed the leadership of the Branch Davidians, and now he's in charge and the rest is history. Right. Here's the Star Wars tie-in. Did you know that nobody knows who shot first? Oh. Now, that's a great Han. debate. Well, we know that Han shot first if you're a <laughs> purist, but, you know, George Lucas and everybody tried to soften Han's image and mm. they said that Greedo shot first. Nay, Han shot first. Okay. Han's a badass. <laughs> but in this particular case, nobody knows who shot first. Okay. Just like the Revolutionary War, who shot first? Right. This is a debate for the ages. Star Wars, Revolutionary War, and now David Koresh. Let's add him to this list of very interesting <laughs> who shot first. Absolutely. Gunfire broke out on the compound when the ATF agents arrived. 
with arrest and search warrants against Koresh and the Branch Davidian compound because they thought they were stockpiling weapons illegally. Okay. Another Revolutionary War tie-in. Sure. (laughs) But how did the shootout begin? Like I said, nobody really knows. In all the chaos. I always heard the story that ATF agents went there to raid them and started opening fire. Like we, we as a government knew that they were bad. They weren't going to come out. So we started shooting. Okay. But that truth hasn't been made clear still to this day. Amid the gunfire, Koresh called 911 to report the shooting. So that's where it gets a little muddy. And not only did he call and report it, but he started preaching with his flowery language. Like I said, these guys like to get a little weird. There's a transcript I'm not going to read, but yeah, he basically said, hey, they're shooting at me, man. And they're like, where are you? I'm I'm David Koresh. I'm at the compound. And he just started like quoting passages from the Bible and the seven seals and all this other weird stuff. And the the 911 operator and the negotiator are like, okay, like, do you want us to respond? Or like, what's going on? Did you need help? Right, right. All right. This is the third fact that you may not have known. Koresh told his followers he was the Messiah, but he didn't believe it himself. That seems weird. So I think a lot of these guys really believe that they're this. He was just telling a story the whole time. Hmm. FBI agents told Frontline when they did this interview in 2018 that any Branch Davidians who wanted to leave the compound had to undergo an exit interview with Koresh, who would remind the person or persons that to abandon him was to reject salvation. But he may not have actually believed this himself, according to one negotiator who engaged Koresh in conversation during the standoff. In transcripts of this conversation, Koresh danced around the question quite a bit. So here's the FBI agent asking the question. And so are you now claiming clearly and simply that you are the Christ? And this is Koresh's answer. Like if he really believed it, he'd just say, yes, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But this is his answer. I am saying that no man can know me nor my father unless they open their book and give a fair chance in honesty and equity to see the seals. Okay. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> exactly. So he, um, there's thought after further investigation that he didn't really believe what he was preaching to everyone. Right. He was just kind of, I guess he's a good actor for the most part because they mm-hmm. had quite a big following that perished on this day. Number four. The Davidians thought that the devil ruled the world. So this is their weird interpretation of the Bible that I spoke about a little bit earlier. Okay. The Davidians were considered well-educated. Koresh's deputy had a theology degree. Oh. And another was an attorney. So why would you think that these smart people would believe in this stuff? They believe that the Bible is the literal word of God and that the prophecies in the book will be fulfilled. And this is a this information came from a, a follower who was able to leave and spoke to Frontline in 1995 about life on the compound. So this is legit information. One of the more important facts, the Bible's book of Revelation, which they believe details the end of the world. The Davidians believe that at that time, God would judge everyone, punishing the sinners and rewarding the good in a special kingdom. Right. I, I think that they thought that their group was the kingdom. Number five, the FBI put listening bugs into milk cartons they sent into the compound. Oh. So when I was a kid, I just thought this was like a thing. They got notice and they went there and ended it. This was like a long, drawn out investigation. Lots of of, um, undercover agents like talking and having conversations with him, unbeknownst to him. 
the problem with these milk cartons is they never know where they would end up. They could go into someone's room. They That's could go true. <laughs> yeah. into the kitchen. So they got lots of interesting conversations. This is an interesting part that I, I gleaned from this. Apparently, Koresh had allowed some children to leave the compound. He had a heart and said, you know what? You can leave. You don't need to be here. So the FBI offered to deliver milk to the compound if he would release more, kind of like a negotiation tactic, right? Okay. Let more kids go. We'll give you more milk. Apparently, milk's a big deal in this cult. Yeah, I was going to say, what's with, with milk? <laughs> Koresh, however, refused the deal, but the FBI sent the milk anyway and got something else from the delivery. They put the listening bugs in it. So they had a trick up their sleeve. They tried to do it the right way and say, hey, we'll do this and get him to agree. But they just sent it anyway, put their little uh, tools in it. I wonder why he didn't expect it was like poisoned or something. Yeah, it's weird. People that are really paranoid like that would think things like that. It's interesting. Yeah, and the FBI recognized this. And like I said, they were a little nervous about it because they didn't know where it would end up. They didn't know if they would just trash it all. Yeah. But they tried it anyway. And it worked. One of the bugs found its way into a room with Koresh. Some of the talk was mundane. Some of it wasn't. They got lots of great tips from these. uh, From the milk. The milk bugs. One of them being like Koresh saying things like, let me send some guys up there and blow their heads off. Oh, dear. All the stuff they needed to go raid this thing. Okay. Number next. I forgot what number. Is it six? Yes. Six. Six. Koresh repeatedly told investigators he wasn't planning a mass suicide, and most of the FBI people believed him. It's unclear why they actually went there, though, um, but I think they were convinced, convinced, convinced. See, I've got the disease now, too. You have it. They were convinced that he might eventually surrender. So the negotiators kept talking to him, offering him opportunities to broadcast his message, all the things you would do to someone like this, like, hey, we'll give you an avenue to preach and all this stuff, but just surrender. Right. So they didn't believe this would happen when they actually went there. And boy, were they wrong. Number seven, the FBI told Attorney General Janet Reno. Do you remember her? I do. That children were being abused at Waco, even though it wasn't true. Oh. So they made it up to get approval to go there and end this thing. Lots of conspiracies around this as to whether we just wanted to go kill these people or if they were truly doing bad criminal things other than shooting that one guy in the head. Yeah. Whilst aiming at a tree, right? I don't really know what else they did wrong. I haven't gotten into the story. I know. I was trying to think. I mean, because I literally was a child at this point in time. And I'm just trying to remember what I had heard. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I always thought children were abused in this situation. So it must have just been their story. Yeah. I mean, apparently they weren't. Reno initially rejected the FBI's plan to use tear gas and thought it was too aggressive. A strong advocate for children, Reno was concerned that the Davidians might use the children as human shields if the FBI launched an offensive attack. Then Reno said she heard from the FBI that the children at Waco were being abused, and she changed her mind. Mm. You know, we've covered a lot of stories on this show about how the FBI is a little crooked. (laughs) Yeah. And it still looks like maybe they are. So uh, don't believe everything you read or hear, everyone. Number eight. The Davidians started the lethal fires that day. So, again, it's been reported that the ATF showed up. They lit fires to kind of get the people out. Yeah. Not true. They lit them on themselves. And there's, from the milk bugs, transcripts, recordings of them saying things like, oh, we need to light this fire here. Oh, that's interesting. We didn't put enough hay in this area. So, they tried to basically kill themselves versus being caught. Okay. So, everything that 
Reno feared came to fruition ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of kind of a bummer because there was a lot of kids that were killed. Most of the number nine, ten, eight, I don't know. Nine. Most of the Davidians died of smoke inhalation after the fire began. They were not killed by ATF agents. Oh, like okay. what was also believed. Yeah. The compound didn't cool down until a week later. Investigators found 75 bodies. 75? Wow. Only nine of the Davidians had escaped the fire. All of the remaining 25 children perished. Koresh and his deputy Steve Schneider were found with fatal wounds to their heads, suggesting suicide or murder-suicide. And everyone else died of smoke inhalation. Mm, that's awful. It is said that at least 50 people died of that. Can, that's got to be a bad way to go. It's got to be like kind of like drowning, right? Just yeah. struggling for it's air. Not being and able to breathe, yeah. Not really being able to see or a way to get out. It's awful. Most of the women and children were found in a concrete bunker full of guns and ammunition. There's been a lot of speculation if this is a mass suicide or not. Did they all go there to die? We don't really know. What investigators feel personally is that they tried to escape. A bunker perhaps was the safest area in the compound, but Koresh lit them on fire instead. Ugh, that's terrible. Crazy, right? I didn't know yeah. all that behind-the-scenes stuff went on. I didn't either. But I think uh, I think we just painted the picture of two very sick individuals that when you interpret the Bible a certain way, can mess with your head a little bit. Yeah, well, it, it didn't necessarily say that Marcus Wesson was interpreting the Bible, but he obviously took this person as an idol and uh, kind of followed his ways, I guess. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. All right. Well, if you want any information or pictures about these cases, please be sure to follow us on social media at How Did You Miss That? And I want to give a shout out for our theme composition to Audio Anywhere Productions. You can find them at audioanywhereproductions.com. Until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. Thank you.